Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. Well, welcome everyone to our special, I guess we could call it sort of an overflow uh, episode of, of, of The Politics Guys. We, uh, we went a little long uh, on Saturday, and so there were a number of stories we really wanted to get to. And also we wanted to tackle some of your questions and comments that you've sent in the last few weeks. And so uh, if you're, if, uh, we'd like to start with the story that was uh, really disappointed me. Uh, you know, I, Jay, you posted something about it on Facebook and I can't tell I you did. How, yeah. how disappointed I was earlier uh, in the week when I opened up the Politics Guys Facebook page and I saw a post from you linking to an announcement that Rob Cordray, the head of my favorite regulatory agency, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, my beloved CFPB, would be stepping down. And of course, Cordray's led the CFPB essentially since its founding uh, a little after 2010 as part of the Dodd-Frank financial reform legislation. And during that time, CFPB has been a tireless defender of consumers. Uh, It's gotten financial firms to cough up almost $12 billion in refunds and canceled debts due to what I'll characterize as the malfeasance, dirty dealing, and flim-flammery of the finance industry. Uh, You'll probably disagree. Now, now, I don't think it's so much that Cordray himself that congressional Republicans object to. It's the independence of the CFPB, which doesn't rely on Congress for its funding. It's funded through the Federal Reserve. And now it it looks like the interim director of the agency is going to be OMB director, Office of Management and Budget Director Mick Mulvaney, who has on multiple occasions characterized the CFPB as a sick sad joke, you know, I kid you not, and was a leading proponent of dismantling it when he was in Congress. So, Jay, I think it's pretty clear how I feel about this. Uh, what do you think? I know. You must be you must be sad. I am sad. Yes, I am. Um, well, there, your, your consolation, uh, I think, is that, you know, the reasons for Cordray stepping down, and he hasn't announced this, uh, the sense is he's going to run for governor of Ohio. Um, now I don't know. I've 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 Democrat Ohio Democrats who I've talked to who are sort of in the know um, have said they think he's kind of getting into a little too late. It's an already crowded field, and it's uh, there's bizarre stuff going on. But uh, he hasn't announced uh, that he's going to do that. But but there would seem to be um, uh, that that may be the plan, and and we'll wait and see. Um. But yeah, I understand you. You would be disappointed. Uh, the CFPA, CFPB, uh, it wasn't even so much the, you know, I think a lot of conservatives had problems with with it for um, uh, partially also the way uh, Cordray was appointed. It was a recess appointment. Um, uh, you know, there was there was question as to whether that that was legit. Um, and in most cases, I think conservatives uh, see this as a. Uh, sort of a stalking horse for the plaintiff's bar um, as opposed to a, a legit agent agency. But um, regardless, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, you mentioned independence and independence is, is good, but um, uh, so is, so is uh, responsible and uh, uh, representative government. So I guess that's, that's sort of the, the thing. If, if you have an agency that is, is really purely unaccountable, uh, does that fit with, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> what we see as a uh, 
you know, Democratic Republican um, uh, Republic. Right. And then, and, you know, he's not, Cordray is not a, a, a king or a despot, as I think some, some in the conservative media make him out to be. He can be removed for, for cause. You know, it's not like he's just completely unaccountable. But, uh, you know, I think the reason why independence is particularly important in certain instances, like, for instance, the Federal Reserve, or I would argue the CFPB is the massive influence that the finance industry has over politics in the United States. And so I think this is an instance where a little bit more insulation from political pressure is, I think, incredibly important. Now, one thing that we do know, though, is that whomever Donald Trump appoints to be the permanent head is going to be someone who's far less interested in taking a strong, uh, you might call it anti-financial industry sense, I would call it a strong pro-consumer stance as Rob Cordray. Um, And I got to say, even though we kind of knew this was coming, I'm a little disappointed because his term wasn't scheduled to end until July of 2018. So that's around eight months of good stuff that he could have done that now is no longer going to be. I mean, I get it. You know, he's got personal ambitions and so forth and so on. So, but, you know, I, there's going to be a lot of things that won't happen now because Rob Cordray wants to be the next governor on of Ohio. Eight months of good stuff. I, you know, I, I think so. I really think so. So I am, I am disappointed. Um, it just, you know, well, uh, yet another reason why, or another, another instance where I think, my God, you know, if, if only Hillary Clinton had been elected. God, it's hard, hard for me to say that because, you know, I'm no huge fan of Hillary Clinton, right? But but uh, appointments are so critically important, you know, and, and just if any Democrat had been elected, you know, and just like any Republican would, have, would appoint somebody who's sort of very different from Rob Cordray. So it wasn't necessarily a Trump thing. And, you know, elections, that whole elections have consequences. And a lot of the consequences don't have to do so much with legislation. That's a big part of it. But with all of these appointments, you know, just like all of the judicial appointments that Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell and Republicans are, are working, you know, very, very efficiently on, uh, on getting through. And so that's, that's a hugely important thing. It's not nearly as exciting and sexy as some of the other stuff, but my gosh, that's, that's awfully important. And so, um, yeah, I'm disappointed to say the least. So uh, anything else on that before we move on, Jay? Nothing, not much else to, to say about that other than I, I don't think that's the last we're going to hear from Cordray. And, um, uh, you know, you'll be able to pick up the story again uh, uh, down the road. Well, I hope so. You know, I also, the, 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 moving on that, I want to mention. Although I, I suggested you should put your name in for it. You know, I think I would be, I certainly would have the enthusiasm for the job, you know, absolutely. Right. You know, right. But, Send uh, me a resume and I'll see if I can get it to some Republicans who can get it to the Trump people and you know we'll see what happens well i appreciate that jay um all right moving on uh you know uh maybe we usually don't talk about uh trials criminal criminal trials but we will this week because it's particularly important uh new jersey democratic senator robert menendez's federal corruption trial ended in a mistrial uh with one juror telling reporters that despite 10 of the 12 jury members supporting acquittal they couldn't reach a unanimous conclusion and The reason why this is particularly important is had Menendez been convicted, he would have almost certainly been forced out of the Senate, leaving the seat open for Republican Governor Chris Christie himself on the way out in favor of a Democrat to appoint his replacement. So, Jay, any thoughts on the trial or the mistrial and what it means? Um, You know, I I think um, 
But first, we, we should talk about what Menendez was accused of uh, and also what he, he apparently did. Uh, it involved receiving significant gifts from uh, an ophthalmologist in Florida um, uh, who, who also had some, uh, some dealings with the Department of Health and Human Services. Specifically, he is being accused um, uh, currently of, of Medicaid fraud. Massive about, Medicaid uh, fraud. Nine and a half million dollars. Yeah. Um, and Menendez, uh, who just happened to be a friend of this guy, uh, intervened uh, and and tried to assist uh, to get the uh, HHS HHS office back. Uh, Kathleen Sebelius, uh, the former director, uh, in fact, testified at the trial that she had never been involved in this sort of a meeting, a cabinet meet level meeting, or it wouldn't have been requested uh, for a Senator to, uh, sort of help out a friend. Um, uh, Menendez received, uh, I think it was like $58,000 in, in travel with, with, uh, this ophthalmologist, uh, that's not even counting with campaign contributions, other gifts, but, but, uh, the, the problem was, uh, what he was actually charged with, uh, was, was bribery, which is tough to prove. And uh, I, I think the jury, most of the jury was, I mean, probably got it right. It's, you know, you can never really tell exactly what, what they're thinking, but, you know, bribery requires a, a pretty specific quid pro quo of, I am giving Senator Menendez this money, this gift in exchange for this, uh, this service. Uh, and I think it's, it's difficult to connect those dots uh, very specifically. And, and I think that's the problem that the prosecution had. They probably could have charged him with something less and gotten a conviction. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, that's, that's, that's my, my sense of this, that um, I, I don't think he'll be retried. Um, well, there will be uh, an given, ethics investigation. Given the, the difficulty in proving those charges, um, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, Mitch McConnell said there will be an ethics investigation. I think there should be. Um, you know, I, I wanted to point out that it's even more difficult to prove this uh, post uh, 2016, where a unanimous Supreme exactly. Court. Exactly, there's a change in the law. Yeah, yeah. they overturned the uh, uh, corruption conviction of former Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell. Um, and, and basically kind of along the same lines that you said is that, you know, the government essentially, their argument in the McDonnell conviction was that, just simply agreeing to meet with somebody and, you know, maybe talk about things and, and showing that there's at least a connection. That's not enough. There needs to be like a very specific quid pro quo thing. And as you point out, that's, that can be as long as both parties are at least reasonably aren't incredibly stupid. That's incredibly difficult to prove. Right. Right. And unless so, you, unless you put it in an email of uh, dear Senator Menendez, uh, please intervene with me in my in my case with the HHS. Here is, uh, uh, you know, how many ever, you know, hundred thousand dollars for your trouble. Um, it's it's tough to prove. Yeah, exactly. And so and that that can get into, you know, a longer uh, discussion about campaign finance and money in politics and so forth. And, you know, I've, I've talked about this a lot in the past. In fact, uh, a while back, I interviewed somebody who I think is a, sort of a leading, uh, who is a leading figure in this, uh, uh, Larry Lessig, who wrote a book called Republic Lost about that. And if you kind of search for our archives, you can kind of find that interview about why this is such an issue. And, you know, the, the problem is, is there corruption in Congress sort of doing doing things in exchange for financial favors? I think almost certainly you'd have to be kind of 
blind to say that this doesn't go on, but in terms of proving it in a court of law, incredibly difficult to do. And so what do we do given our, you know, our understanding or at least our strong belief that money is a huge influence and a huge influence in a bad way on a lot of members of Congress, but that we can't necessarily prove that direct link. Well, that, that's a, that's a tough problem. You know, so, um, and Larry Lessig has some ideas about that. And so I would encourage people who are interested in that to, uh, check out my, my talk with him and I'll try to, I'll remember to put a link in the show notes as well as to check out Republican. Yeah, we should. And also, cause I, I, we should point out Larry Lessig is a big deal. Uh, and, and it's, it was a very, very much an honor that he, yeah, he chose to talk to our, our humble podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was really, I was really thrilled to have him got, I've used his book in, you know, my classes and so forth. So it was great to be able to talk to him. All right. Well, you know, Jay, uh, if you're ready, we can move on and take some listener mail. We haven't done that in quite a while. And so there've been a few things that have piled up and I thought that would be All good right. to get to. All right. Let's see. Let's see what we have here in our listener mail back. All right. First we have Alex who writes in part, I wanted to start out by thanking you for taking the time to put this podcast on. I know it takes a good portion of your time and you do a great job. I also want to show sincere appreciation since I would imagine most of your mail is primarily combative and argumentative, such as politics. <laughs> so you know where this is going. I say most of it, but, but yeah, yeah, we get yet, some. <laughs> yep. Yet here I am writing in about to do just that. Be combative. So here we go. Uh-oh. Yeah. Jay. I am disgusted by what I think I heard you say on Politics Guys episode 123. It's the episode where we first really kind of brought up tax reform. This is right before the Republican bill was released. Uh, Alex writes, I don't always agree with you, but this time it went far beyond that. Your view on how our representatives ought to act is completely unprincipled. What I think you said in sum was, if it is beneficial politically to do something, then that is what we ought to expect from our elected leaders. The justification of which being that this is the world we live in. An ought does not derive for an is, Jay. Our leaders represent our interest, not theirs. They are public servants. Government isn't a career, but a duty. And it disgusts me to believe that we have so long lost sight of that that we have smart people like you acquiescing to a political game of power over principle. The preservation of democracy rests on the ability of leaders to demonstrate restraint, to cherish the ideals of the Constitution, to believe that a world is better run by people than one person or party ruling over the people. If you get a bill without the other side's input, you are failing in your duty. If you are so blinded by your own beliefs that you decry the future president and state that your goal is to make him a one-term president, which Senator McConnell famously did in regards to President Obama, you have no right to call yourself a leader. My point, Jay, is that you really disappointed me. If I correctly understood your view on the government and how it ought to operate, then I'm at a loss for words and heartbroken that you and most likely others have a similar view. In that case, we truly have lost the fight for democracy. Please correct me if I'm wrong. How do you think our elected leaders ought to function? Do you think they ought to function as principal servants of the people? Finally, why are you okay with them ignoring the other half, Democrats, ignoring Republicans and vice versa? So, Jay, what do you think? Wow. Well, geez. Sorry, Alex. Sorry to let you down. Um, look, my what I try to bring to the podcast is uh, a sense of how things 
operate in the real world. And that's based on uh, a good number of years of experience uh, operating in that real world. Um, and also uh, a, a whole lot, lot of uh, reading and, and following things on, on this, this topic. So, you know, were, were I to say that uh, everything is sunshine, I mean, should, should, uh, ought, ought uh, we to consult with members of the other party and putting together big pieces of legislation? Sure. Um, but let's, let's not lose sight of the Republican representatives were sent there by Republican voters uh, uh, who, you know, they won those elections uh, in, in those districts uh, or those states. And they're, they have a duty to those voters who expected certain things of them. And some of the things are repeal Obamacare, reform from the tax code. Uh, that is necessarily going to bring disagreement from the other side. Uh, in some cases, that disagreement is is not something that can be um it's 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 a philosophical fundamental disagreement i mean there's there's no way to uh to compromise on it uh and at some point if if you are in leadership um there may be a duty not to compromise on it uh you know if if uh i know this is a particular frustration of republican voters is they send people uh to Congress who swear up and down, I'm going to repeal Obamacare or, or whatever, fill in the blank. Um, and, and then they get there and then they don't do it. And, and that's, I think part of the way reason, you know, Donald Trump was so successful, uh, against a field of, of, uh, uh, of, of more traditional Republicans is there was an element that says, look, this guy's actually going to do what he says. So look, in a, in a perfect, world uh, ought we to uh, consult and discuss and uh, you know just just work this all out over uh, beers and so forth sure uh, but my my job is you know as it pertains to this podcast is, is to sort of shed some light on how things actually work and how things will actually work um, and and you know like it or not that this is the real world and I'll, I'll I will say that again um, uh, you know, if, if you're the party in power, you need to be able to have the, the enough votes to get your agenda passed or you're not really in power. Um, you know, and, and, and if to, to, to say, well, I think I'm going to go to the other party, uh, and, and get their input first and, uh, tell my constituents who elected me to take a hike. Well, that's, that's not really in the service of representative government either. So, uh, yeah, I, Guess I guess I'll sort of plead uh, guilty as charged, but Alex, I hope it's it's not me letting you down, and it's it's more just the the world. Um, this is the uh, I'm I'm trying to 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 paint a picture of of uh, of how things actually uh, are, and um, that's that's the way I see it. Well, I I guess I'll, I'll chime in here to say that I I see where you come from, Jay, and I largely agree with you, but but I, in a way, I sort of agree with Alex a little bit too, in that I think you're right, certainly, that uh, one the one thing that we should be doing is explaining sort of what people's motivations are as we understand them and how the world, the political world works based on our experience and, and reading and so forth. But I also think it's not unreasonable to say, well, we can do that. And we can also say, well, we would 
you know, we would like to hold our leaders to a higher standard. And, and if all political analysis is simply about looking at that kind of power politics sort of thing, and if everyone just sort of accepts that as how things must be, then that will always be the case. And so, you know, I think it's, we certainly can you know, point out that while this is how things are, this is not necessarily how we would like things to be or how things perhaps should be in a better world. And I think that maybe goes a little bit toward maybe temperament. People who are a little more idealistic by temperament might want to emphasize that a little bit more. Um, I think sometimes I want to emphasize that a little bit more. And it's not because certainly that I am a, a, a greater believer in democracy and the people than, than anyone else that you are, say, Jay. But I think part of that is just simply temperamental. I don't know. I don't know. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, there's there's no need. Look, you can disagree without being a jerk. Um, and I think in, in a lot of cases, maybe some of our disputes are over that. But let's put it this way, as as nice as if Republicans asked very nicely, uh, Democrats, uh, we'd like to repeal Obamacare. Uh, would you care to join us? Um, I, I'm pretty sure the answer would still be no. Um, you know, I, I, and I'm just, you know, I, again, you know, Trump doesn't help. And sometimes blowing up uh, things that there might be places for compromise and, uh, you know, he, he you know, or, and then maybe not to single out Trump because there were certainly others. And, um, but I, does, does that change the fact that, listen, our country is built on, we elect, uh, people who have different beliefs and they go in there and they're going to represent those beliefs. And at the end of the day, one side is not going to get what they want. I mean, I, let, let's put it, let's put it this way. I mean, should, would would you have advised that that Abraham Lincoln should have been nicer to the the South? I mean, would sure. that have helped? Well, you know, I think it's a great point. Um, uh, yeah, no, that was a fundamental that was a fundamental disagreement. And, and if you look at this, this isn't something that's that's new. Um, uh, you know, take a look at the you know the 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 founding and the you know the election of eighteen hundred um, of Jefferson uh, uh, versus Adams. I mean, the the nastiness there of two fundamental differing visions. Uh, and I think the same thing can be be said of the the election of Andrew Jackson. Um, this is not something new. I mean, we have uh, uh, people who disagree. Yeah, you know, I, and, I, I uh, agree often vociferously, and that's that's part of it. I <laughs> agree with you, except I think there's a lot to be said for at least making that initial effort, even if you're almost certain that it will not be. Uh, uh, met with, met positively. So there's a difference, I think, an important difference between, say, starting like Republicans obviously are in the midst of passing, you know, attempting to pass major tax reform, something both sides agree needs to happen, though they differ a lot in the particulars. I think there's a difference between starting it off using the regular order, finding out that Democrats are just being intransigent, and then Moving on to running it through the reconciliation process, to me, I can understand that I can accept that. But when you just bypass that entirely, just saying, "Well, they're not going to, they're not going to buy a lump buy in anyway," so we're just going to ignore them from the get go. To me, that's that that crosses a line. I don't think that's okay, whether Democrats or Republicans do it. You at least, I believe that the, an obligation of the party in power is at least to reach out, to hold a hand out there. And if, hey, if it's slapped away, then you say, okay, we made a good faith effort. Now we're going to move on. But more well, and more. 
that good faith effort been slapped made. away pretty pretty hard. Pretty but, but, the, but the Republicans and didn't they, even make yeah, that effort on tax that reform. That message was received. I mean, there's there's some sense of you don't want to be Charlie Brown saying, okay, this time they're they're not going to she's not going to pull the football away from me. I mean, but nothing nothing gets harmed by making that effort and having it. You know, if, if if the football is pulled away, then you say, okay, we're going to do it ourselves. Republicans could have done that with Obamacare repeal. They could have done that with tax reform. They chose not to do that from the beginning. And to me, now, I'm not saying that in, in, if you've reversed the circumstances that Democrats wouldn't have done the same thing. I tend to think that given the amount of polarization, that that's very, that's maybe more likely than not. I'm not going to get into counterfactuals, but so I'm not trying to say that this is because Republicans are uniquely uh, unwilling to compromise or intransigent or something. I'm saying this is the fundamental problem with how I see both parties as approaching politics. So there you go. All right. Let's move on to our next question. Um, Josh, who comments on our uh, affirmative action discussion, which was a while back, uh, wrote in, I was quite sad that neither of you addressed ways we might actually show that people are disadvantaged, specifically by race, as part of the argument as to whether race-based programs have any place in government. This doesn't prove that certain policies are good or bad, but they can form a shared set of facts to at least be willing to consider. So too much of the argument you two had on this issue was purely rhetorical. Uh, if you want to stop discriminating on basis of race, stop discriminating on the basis of race, which is the comment that Jay made, is a pithy quote, but that assumes, and it's a big assumption, that prima facie race-neutral policies have a race-neutral effect. Um, and I thought this was an, you know, an interesting comment in that you know, we did – I think in our discussion on this, and I thought it was a good discussion, that it was maybe more theoretical and we didn't really introduce uh, a lot of data on that. And so I wanted to introduce just a few things that I pulled up from a recent, uh, from, from, from recent survey from the Pew Research Center. For instance, you know, ways that we might show that uh, African-Americans are systematically worse off in this country. You can take a look at the poverty rate, right? The, the, the black poverty rate's 26%. For whites, it's 10%. Or if you look at wealth, median net worth for white households is 144000 For black households, it's $11,200. Um, homeownership rate, uh, 72% for whites, 43% for blacks. Unemployment rate, 4.5% for whites, 10.3% for blacks. Percentage with a college degree, 36% for whites, 23% for blacks. You can go, I mean, those are just some things I, I sure. plucked up. Now, the question being, I think uh, a couple things going on here, and I think this is where you and I can maybe have some discussion is, I think we can both agree that uh, the world is a very, that this country is a very different place for uh, African-Americans, for other minorities than for whites. Now, where we might, or I think we will disagree as to what that means and what, if anything, government can do about that. Do you think that's, that's fair? Well, yeah, yes and no. I, I think the other thing is um, when you're looking at those kind of statistics, you're looking at broad numbers uh, essentially on average. Um, and part of the problem that, that I raised that, that I have and a lot of people have with, with affirmative action is if it's if its goal is to help those who are are really having a, a difficult time or have barriers to overcome, um, race is is probably one of the the worst ways to do it. And, and you could look at something instead 
said that it is race neutral, um, like like poverty, like educational backgrounds, and that kind of thing, uh, and accomplish the same, if not a better result. Uh, so many of the, you know, if, if the idea of you know uh, of students who get scholarships or or race preferred admissions to elite universities. Uh, and if you look at that, I mean, is it is it helping um, those uh, those that percentage of the black population, let's say, uh, who's really struggling, or is it is it the case of these are middle class black kids uh, who are edging out lower uh, uh, folks from you know white Appalachia or something like that? And that's that's my point is is race is is a terrible way to measure this. Uh, I think so many of our our problems are are less racial and they are more class based, more economic based. But there's a political incentive to call them racial. Um, and uh, the also maybe you know what I said about the best way to stop discriminating by race is to stop discriminating by race. Um, that's not me talking. That's the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court talking. Um, so you know, in a, in a college admissions case. So to me, I, I think that's, that's the, the biggest factor is I think it's, it's abhorrent that we, we look to race rather than these, these other, uh, other factors. Yep. You know, I agree with you to a point there. Uh, I think I especially agree with you on, on the class issue. You know, there's this myth that the, the United States is a, is a classless society and it's just simply not true, I think, as a lot of research shows. And, and I think we do need to pay more attention to issues of class. Now, that said, I also believe that while uh, the United States is a far less racist society than it has been in the past and we've moved a long way the right direction, I still believe that the discrimination, that racism uh, is uh, is is shot throughout society and it's still sure no pervasive. absolutely there's, there's yeah okay and, and that i think but, but but you know go ahead go ahead i was just saying that i i think that needs to be acknowledged and it's not all about class it's not all about uh economics there are some very real issues that are related to discrimination that are related to prejudice that make things more difficult for uh, for African-Americans, uh, for other minorities, than they are other things being equal for whites. And I think that needs to be addressed. Well, and, and look, we've got the legal toolkit to address that. And that's that's the legal toolkit that's been out there for 50, 60 years now uh, in saying that if there is evidence of past discrimination, it is appropriate for uh, those institutions that practiced it to to take affirmative action that's where the, we we get the term uh to remedy that and and to make up for that um but what's happened is we've that that standard of we're using affirmative action to make up for a specific uh past uh, abuse by a specific past uh, specific institution or group um has given way to this uh general well diversity and diversity is all well and good. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> I live in a, a diverse community and I, I do so very much uh, by my choice because that's where I'm, I, I want to live. That's why I want to raise my kids. But it's something else uh, completely for a, a public institution um, uh, or a public contractor, whatever to say, uh, geez, we'd, we'd like to have more diversity, which is, which is often 
not if you you look at what that term really means when they say diversity do they mean uh, let's bring in more asian kids no that's not what they mean um uh so oh, i think that's that's the the sense of where in many cases affirmative action as it was originally uh, created uh, to be a remedy for specific uh, 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 past bad acts has has morphed into something else that that is more troubling and is is racial preferences. Sure, and, and I, I I hear what you're saying to it. Like I said, to a certain extent, I I agree. I think sometimes the problem is that it's difficult to design programs that directly and clearly address uh, past and present racial discrimination that don't become sort of overly broad because we tend to focus on things that we can easily count and quantify and so forth. And that can be very difficult to do. And so it is easy to, like you said, design a program that said, well, this, this makes up for past, you know, racial wrongs, but well, if we're, if it has the result of say, you know, bringing in uh, some, uh, giving a preference to some upper class minority student, at the, you know, in favor of some lower class, you know, poor, uh, non-minority student, is that really a, a positive thing or not? I, I, you know, that, those are tough questions. And I think the problem is, is when people try to design policies, oftentimes they, it's difficult to make them, uh, uh sensitive enough, clear enough to these sort of specific things that can be, that can be very, very tricky, I think. And so I, you know, I, I think you're, you're, you know, you have, you have some, you have some good points there. So there we go. All right. Um, All right. Who else is mad at me this week? <laughs> Let's see here. Okay. Uh, well, we have Jacob uh, who left a comment on our website in response to uh, the Trump avert Trump anniversary episode. This is my recent interview with uh, my friend oh, okay. Joe. Um, well, they're, not, they're not mad at me. They're mad at Joe. Mad at Joe. A lot of people and were mad at okay. Joe. Um, uh, and Joe, of course, is is a Trump supporter, uh, a longtime friend of mine. Uh, it's been a friend of mine almost as long as you have, Jay. Um, so here's what Jacob has to say. Uh, that was a bad crowd. Yeah, well, there there were a lot of just really really strong comments about Joe, especially on Facebook. I picked this this one out because I think it gave us something that we could sort of um, work with. Essentially, uh, there were a lot of comments about. But anyway, let me let me just read it. Let me, what Jacob had to say. First, just wanted to say that I love the podcast and look forward to your discussion every week. I'm in general agreement with the previous comments about Joe's tenor and attitude, which were basically Joe's a big jerk. Um, I, I, that was my editorializing. Anyway, I personally find it unhelpful to political discourse, but helpful in understanding how a sizable chunk of voting Americans feel right now. Listening to Joe play whataboutism is a is fairly obvious how a guy whose main purpose is slapping the cultural left got as much support as he did. My question for the hosts and other politics guys fans is, is this attitudinal approach toward politics more prevalent on the right or the left? Assuming that people like Joe are unhelpful to healthy and constructive politics, how do we begin to change them? And so now my understanding of what, what Jacob was asking here, and I think it's a really good question is, his sense, the sense of a lot of people, I think, is that is that Joe, like a lot of people on who are kind of strong Trump supporters, weren't really willing to sort of engage to, to talk about what people are, you know, uh, the criticisms that people are making, but rather tried to turn every question about around saying, 
well, what about Hillary Clinton or what about what the Democrats did? That's what I think he means by what about is as opposed to answering, you know, well, what about the person who's actually president right now? That sort of thing. And in sort of in a larger sense, that kind of uh, dismissive uh, mocking attitude toward the people who didn't win the election, basically. I think that's what a lot of people took away from what they Latin. The Latin term is is a two quoque. way. Okay, there you go, Jay. Which which means, uh, and you're one too, which is sort of right, kind of a right back at you uh, for the the whataboutism. And there's certainly a lot of that that we hear. Um, And, you know, I I struggle with that, I think, myself. And that's why I thought this would be a great question, because I think a lot of people, it's reasonable to ask, well, number one, is this unhelpful? Is is this in, in terms of, you know, constructive political debate? And I would say absolutely. It's unhelpful, uh, unhelpful. Uh, Jay, what do you think? So that's kind of the first part of Jacob's Yeah, question. generally. I mean, I guess it, it goes to the, the question of what you're trying to talk about. Um, my my sense uh, is is always, um, you know, for example, if if the question is, uh, you know, well, Trump's, Trump's a bad person and we shouldn't have elected him because um, uh, he has harassed women, uh, allegedly, or he's made these crude comments. And then the response is, well, what about Hillary Clinton? Um, and and her actions and uh, helping Bill take care of his problems. Um, to me, that's not that's not a good argument. Um, to me, the the better the honest conservative argument is. Um, yeah, he's he's got problems. That's not acceptable. Um, uh, but that's a price that many were willing to pay uh, uh, in order to get a a you know better Supreme Court picks. Or you can also look at it as. Uh, people were were very much willing to say, okay, I will pull the lever f- for Trump, uh, albeit reluctantly, uh, because bad as he is, I still prefer him to Hillary Clinton um, and and what what she represents, being sort of the swamp and all that kind of thing. Of look at uh, Trump is is certainly an imperfect man, but he's that's the kind of man we need uh, to drain the swamp. Um. Uh, I, I would refer people maybe to the, again, the, the team America kind of aphorism, you know what I mean? Um, um, so I, I think that's the better way to argue it. Now, there's also sometimes I, I, I think, you know, pointing out hypocrisy uh, is often not a really good political argument. Um, but emotionally, it's so satisfying. Sorry, I said, but emotionally, it's so satisfying. And I think that that's really kind of gets to me to the nub of it is that, you know, you're absolutely right that it's not a good argument to kind of turning it around that way. But it feels so good. It feels much better than to to do that than to say, yeah, well, our guy's a flawed guy or our candidate's a flawed person, but better than the alternatives. It's much better to say, well, your person is awful. You know, that's it. That that's much juicier and more emotional. And that's what so much of our politics is. And I think that's that's unfortunate. But, you know, there's an awful lot of uh, psychology research, uh, behavioral economic type research that says, hey, that's just kind of how people are. And that's what so much of our media sort of plays into and tries to uh, tries to, you know, uh, really push for understandable. Right. You know, right. Because because what it does, it, it pushes the media stuff. It gets clicks. It gets, you know viewers. Uh, I don't necessarily, though, think it, it wins arguments. No, definitely uh, not. I mean, I do think the stronger argument is, uh, you know, again, if you think about this, even as bad as Trump is, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, uh, we need to be able to put it, it, it. Quite honestly, that's kind of, it, it's it was sort of 
of um, that was kind of the argument of uh, the Bill Clinton back in in the nineties of the um, you know the the impeachment of well what he may have done was wrong but but come on we've got this great economy we don't want to screw this up um, you know but anyway going to hypocrisy there there can be for example um, you know say uh, I don't know Keith Keith Richards uh, uh, makes a PSA saying uh, uh, don't do drugs. Um, you would say that's hypocritical, um, but it's, it's still, it's, it's not, it's not the wrong advice. Right. Um, so, um, you can have a flawed messenger, you, the, but a good the messenger message. can be, a, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, when, when I think the hypocrisy does, does come, come in and, and make a difference is when it goes to, goes to sincerity. Um, for example, uh, all right, I'll pick on Matt Damon. Um, who will argue that uh, everyone ought to cut their carbon emissions because the world is in great peril? Uh, we're we're speeding towards uh, certain doom, um, and yet he will fly around and court on on, on uh, private jets and uh, use more carbon uh, in those trips than you or I will use in our lifetime combined. Um, and, and so I, then I think it's it's right to step up and say, wait a minute, if you're really concerned about what you say you're concerned about, you wouldn't be acting this way. Oh, you'd buy uh, so I think hypocrisy, the, the hypocrite argument makes sense in that context. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I think the two coque uh, is, is sort of, it's, it's sort of one of those logical fallacies. Um, if the question is, is your guy fit, uh, then uh, just saying, well, you're not fit either. Um, <clears throat> that, that doesn't get it. And look, I mean, Joe, Joe and I have, have different approaches to, to how we, we, we put things out there. And, and I think something that was important, um, from, from the, uh, Joe discussion and, and someone else pointed this out is as upset as many of the liberals who listened to our, our show were upset and offended and, and shocked by, by Joe. Um, that's how conservatives feel pretty much all the time. Uh, meaning that sort of, you know, that's how we feel when we, when we, you know, watch Stephen Colbert. Uh, that's how we feel when all of this stuff in the, you know, the, the popular culture uh, and so forth. So I think, I think it's important that liberals ought to, you know, get, get a sense of that. That's um, <clears throat> that feeling. Um, yeah. That's why people are angry. If you're angry with Joe, uh, please understand. That's why a lot of conservatives have been angry with with, uh, with, you know, the left, the mainstream media, Hillary Clinton, whatever. Yeah. You, you know, I think that that gets to the, the, the last part of, of Jacob's question about you know, how we begin to change it. I think it's extraordinarily difficult. You know, I, I feel like one of the, I know that one of the reasons that you and I started this podcast was because we wanted to try to change that sort of thing. And it, it's extraordinarily difficult to not, you know, when, when you feel like, the culture is characterizing you as being stupid and evil and, and wanting to hurt people. You know, I mean, I, you know, this is, I, I, I always get on my soapbox about Vox, right? You, you know that, yeah, this love, hey, but you know, when I, when I hear Ezra Klein, who's an incredibly bright guy who knows an awful lot about policy saying, I just don't get why this Republican or I'll call a Republican policy is cruel as if Republicans decided, what can we do to hurt poor people? I mean, it's just, that seems to me to be like willfully myopic. Um, and, and, and that to me is really problematic when smart people do that. And so many people, especially in the media, do that. And I think 
you know, part of the problem is that when you get a whole bunch of liberals together with other liberals or conservatives together with other conservatives who are so focused on, on feeling aggrieved and looking for conflict, that's what's going to come out of it. And, and the, the fewer conversations we have with each other where we, where we don't say, okay, I'm going to assume that you're a decent person who wants good things for the country and, and your kids and your family, and I do too. So how do we get there? When we don't start from that kind of assumption, then things go off the rails, you know, boom. And, and that's what we have yeah. too much of. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I said this, I don't know when years ago, but, but, uh, I think it was, again, looking, it, it was, uh, uh, quoting, uh, Epictetus, um, that, you know, there's a couple different ways to look at a problem. If, if you have a conflict with your brother, uh, one way is to look at, look at it as, uh, here's, here's a person who I have a I'm conflict with. Uh, the other way to look at it is, uh, here's my brother. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I think, you yeah, look, Mike, Mike and I, if we, we've known each other long enough that we can pretty much say anything to one another. <laughs> I think that's sort of, yeah, I say so. uh, you know, and, and without taking sort of a, a personal offense to it, um, because we have so much other things in common, uh, common experiences, uh, common beliefs. And, and I really do think that, that if, if we, we would reach out to, to folks, we'd, we'd find out that we have a lot more commonalities uh, then, then we might, uh, think at, at first blush and, and focus on that of, uh, of, uh, this is my friend, uh, with whom I have a political disagreement, uh, versus this is this evil person. Uh, yeah. so, and, you know, and speaking, going, kind of taking this around back toward, toward diversity, you know, that's the sort of diversity it doesn't get, I don't think nearly enough focus that, and cause we, you know, there's plenty of survey data and other things that say that, that now, nowadays Republicans and Democrats are further apart. Your questions like, would you, would you want to, would you want your son or your daughter to marry, you know, a Republican or a yeah. Democrat? It's like, Oh God, no, that would be awful. And, 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 and that's the thing is when you, when you actually sit down and talk to these people, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of my, our liberal listeners and my, my fellow liberals listen to Joe and thought, this is an awful person. But I mean, I know Joe, I've known him for, you know, 20 something years. He's not, he approaches politics in a very different way, but he cares about what happens to his family. He's a decent, you know, personally, he's, he's, you know, a salt of the earth type of guy, but. He doesn't go around kicking poor people on yeah, the way to you know, work exactly. and stuff like that. And now that being said, there are some people in this world who are sociopaths, who are awful, evil people. You know, there are, but they're really kind of a small minority. And even in Congress, I would say they're a small minority. Most of the, most of the Republicans who, you know, Mitch McConnell, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, whoever, Donald Trump, I don't know. I'll, I'll put him in a separate category. But most of these people are, are decent people who just have very different kind of fundamental principles, beliefs in how to make the country better. And if we work at it from that, if we go at it from that angle, I think it's a lot easier for us to try to understand each other and maybe try to reach some sort of shared understandings, at least on a few things. Yeah. And, and I would, one last thing, I, I don't want to stop on that because I was really good, but um, the, as a, as a Burkean and Mike, you're sort of a Burkean too. Absolutely. I, I think there's, there's also, and this, this goes to identity politics that, you know, look, we, you know, we need to see ourselves as more than our, our political identities. Um, uh, yes, I'm a conservative Republican, but that's, that's not 
all that I am. There, there are a thousand different other facets uh, to who I am and, and same with, with Mike and, and with anyone else. And I think when we, we get, get in into the habit of defining ourselves first by our, our political uh, party or, or ideological affiliation um, that we sort of segregate ourselves into these tribes and, and, and we don't, we don't need to. So yeah, be, be more than, be more than your party. That's Amen. My, yeah. That's my advice for today. That's great. I think that's great advice and we'll close on that advice. So that is it for this episode. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope you like what you heard on this commercial free episode. Uh, and listener support, you know, is what keeps the show going, especially when we're not relying on advertisers and we really do appreciate it. So if you're interested in joining our great group of politics guys supporters you can do that by going to politicsguys.com and clicking on the patreon link and if you want to support the show without spending anything hey we'd really appreciate it if you could share this episode with your friends and followers or pass along our new show posts and tweets on facebook and twitter and of course leaving reviews and ratings on itunes also helps if you want to get in touch with us you can do that by emailing us at mail at or on our facebook page facebook.com slash politics guys where we post stuff throughout the week also we're on twitter at politics guys the executive producers of the politics guys are michael baranowski jay carson trey orndorff and bruce johnson today's show is produced by michael baranowski we'll be back with a new show on saturday we hope you'll join us